privilege to be here, and it has been a wonderful week. I pray that God has blessed you. I know God has blessed me and encouraged my heart. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to just take three verses as our text this morning, but we'll begin reading in verse 14 through verse 16, and I'll speak to you for a few moments this morning on this thought, beyond my world, beyond my world. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 14 says this, For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope, when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. Not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity we have this morning to be in church. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your loving us. You have changed our lives. You have blessed our lives. And the rest of the world deserves to know about you. My, what great joy you could bring in places of real darkness. How you could turn things around that no government program can ever turn around. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us a vision to see beyond ourselves. To see what you want to do. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the world is an immense place. For the last year and a half, two two years of my life, I've been traveling 42, 44, 45 weeks a year. I think last year, 42 this year. I got a little smarter this year. And I travel primarily in the United States, primarily east of the Mississippi. And I'll tell you what I've figured out. It's a big place. And I try in my mind to see beyond just the little realm where I preach, and I think about the entire world. I think about the great group of people that are here this morning and the size of this crowd, and it's wonderful. And then I think, well, but there's seven and a half billion people on planet Earth. And there are so many nations and so many places that have never heard the gospel. And to be honest with you, if, if I'm not careful... I, I get so mesmerized and so intimidated by the immensity of the world that, that it almost seems impossible till I remember who my God is. And as immense as it is, my God, the one who saved me, loves every person on this planet. Doesn't matter what color they are, doesn't matter what culture they belong to or what creed they follow. God loves every human being on this earth. And as vast as it is, as as uh, disparate as it is, 
Here's the most amazing truth to me. Wherever you are, whoever you are on planet earth, there is only one way to be saved. There's only one true God. There's only one way for us to be reconciled, to come to that true God. You say, reconciled, preacher? What what do you mean reconciled? Well, I mean that every one of us are born sinners. You say, well, I didn't come to church to be insulted. Well, hang on, it's not over yet. Every one of us are sinners, and because we are sinners, we're separated from a righteous and a holy God. And to be honest with you, there's none of us that have done anything to deserve God reaching out to us to bring us to reconciliation with Him. There's, there's nothing that we've done to seek Him But in the incredible love of God, He has reached out to us. How did He reach out to us? He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live as you and I live. For 33 years, He walked on the face of this earth, facing every temptation that you and I face, oh, but with an amazing difference. Not one time did he yield to a temptation. He never disobeyed parents. He never had a bad attitude. He never said a wrong word. He never did not love in the way that he should love. In every instance of his life, though he was reviled and though he was hated and though he was rejected, he never one time sinned. He was with sin. And that qualified him to go to a cross on Mount Calvary. And there on Calvary, not because we loved him, but because he loved us, he willingly took our sin on himself. And our sin was punished in Christ. That's why we hear those words in the Bible, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, I'll tell you why the Father forsook the Son. Because at that moment He was bearing our sin, the sins of an entire world, and God could not look on sin. And Jesus suffered that separation for you and I. And here's the amazing truth. I'll never understand it fully until we get to heaven. If I will look to what Jesus did on the cross and simply say, admit from my heart, that was for me. Because I am a sinner. Because I've transgressed the law of God. Because I've broken God's heart in the way that I have lived at times. If I will look and say, I am a sinner, but Jesus Christ loved me enough to die in my place, the most amazing transaction that can happen. My sin goes on Him. His righteousness is imputed or comes on me. And when God looks at me, He no longer sees my sin. He sees the righteousness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, my friend. 
That's the gospel message that saved you and I if we're saved this morning. That's the gospel message that these missionaries want to take to places that have never heard it before. That gospel message is still powerful today, still effective today. God is not finished yet. God is still saving souls. And my friend, It may be beyond our understanding, but God still wants to work in the world in which we live. You and I need to have the mind of Paul in some ways, who came to this passage, and though he was a single man like you and I, and though he was not a world-powerful man, so are not we, he was a man who lived beyond his measure, according to verse 14. He was a man who wanted to go to the regions beyond, according to verse 16. And I'll have to explain this in a moment. But he was a man who lived beyond his means. We see that in verse 15. Let me talk about that for just a moment. Here's number one. The Apostle Paul knew that God could work, and so he lived beyond his measure. Look again at verse 14. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure. There was a tense relationship between the Apostle Paul and the church at Corinth. And they often criticized him unfairly. And one of the things they were saying to the Apostle Paul and in his desire to reach the world, they were saying, Paul, you are a dreamer. Paul, you you stretch yourself beyond any ability. Paul, you talk about reaching a world for Christ, but don't you understand that's beyond your ability? And I love Paul's answer. In essence, we have to understand it, but he says back to them, as though we reach not unto you. (laughs) He's saying, hey, you say we can't reach the world. Hey, Corinth, Would you remember the gospel didn't start with you? We brought the gospel to you? Hey, the world has always had the opinion that it can't be done. There were those in Jerusalem who thought the people in Samaria could never be saved. But they were. There were people in Samaria and Jerusalem who thought the word could never go to a Gentile place like Antioch and people be saved, but it did. There were people who thought it could never cross an ocean and come to America, a new world, but it did. All I'm saying this morning is everything about reaching the world for Christ is impossible if you view it from the perspective of our own measure. Of course Mike Edwards can't reach the world. What Mike Edwards brings to anything is never enough for the ministry. But pour the Holy Spirit into a surrendered Mike Edwards, and it's incredible what God can do in spite of him and through him. That's why Paul tells us to be very careful in verse 13 and 17 that when everything that is done gets done, remember who gets the glory. And it's never the missionary, it's never the preacher, it's never the church, it's always his work. Job number one of this conference is for us to pray that God will help us to see not only what we think we can do, but what can be done with Him working through us.
Sometimes we live within a three-foot circle of us. Now, for me, I'm a little larger. It's a six-foot circle. But if it doesn't affect me, if it doesn't happen to me, if it's not about me, it doesn't matter. We have become a so self-focused generation that we forget that God is not smaller than the world. God is bigger than the world, and He can reach the world, and He can use us to do it. We have to see and live beyond our measure. Hey, Central Baptist Church, you can impact Uganda. You can impact Greenland. You can impact Brazil and Spain and the Fiji Islands. It's nothing for God. And God can use us and work through us if we will get our eyes off ourselves and see what He can do. How about this for number two? We need to see beyond our borders. I love what it says in verse 16. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. What do you mean beyond me? I'm the most important thing in the world. No, we are not. One of the great political struggles we have in our nation today is how do we deal with people who come into our country both legally and illegally. And though that's something that requires attention, that's not the biggest problem our church has. Our church needs to figure out how do we get people that are here that are saved and called to places outside of our country where they can preach the gospel to people who have never heard. Paul was a man who was interested in preaching in regions beyond. He was saved around 42 A.D. And he spent some silent years in the desert where Jesus was teaching him through the Holy Spirit and where others taught him as well. Around 46 A.D., he began traveling the world preaching the gospel. For the next 15 years, he traveled by foot and by ship. He was supported by churches, but when there were the necessity upon him, he would be bivocational. He would preach and then he would work and make tents to make a living. <clears throat> he preached in cities and in villages. He preached to those who had nothing and he preached to those who were running the then known world. He preached in Jerusalem and North Africa, Asia Minor, Greece, the islands of the Mediterranean, Italy, and even in the capital of the Roman Empire itself. If Paul would have had modern means of invitation or transportation and, and communication, I, I can't imagine what he would have accomplished because no barrier stopped him. There was no border that could keep him out if it was the Lord's will that he go in. A man who literally lived the Great Commission. You say, well, preacher, define the regions beyond. I read an old commentator from the 1800s, and here's what he said. You know what the region beyond means? Still further. Still further. We have become a generation of believers. Now, I'm going to scold us for a minute. We've become satisfied with how far we've come. We've become satisfied with how far we've grown. Can, can I just tell you something? I got saved in 1975, and since the day I got saved, 
I have read the Bible and tried to be a prayer warrior. I have studied the Bible. I have grown immensely. And then can I finish that thought with this? I have not apprehended that for which I was apprehended. I'm not there yet. There is still room in my heart to grow. Still room in my life to grow. And in a matter of loving the Lord and serving the Lord and living for the Lord and giving to the Lord, there is not one person in this room who is there yet. You say, well, I'm offended at that. We're not done yet. I don't want to, be, I don't want to sound combative. But I'm just telling you that one of the greatest dangers in churches and one of the greatest dangers in our Christian generation is we think we're there. We think we've done enough. And yet, it's still further. What do I need to do in my understanding of missions? Go further. What do I need to do in my sacrifice so that the world can know Christ? I need to go further. What do I need to do with my life? I'm I'm getting to be an old man. I, I can't travel. Go further. Go further. And trust the Lord and ask the Lord and and beg the Lord from a surrendered heart. Don't let me die where I'm at. I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. God, I don't want to stop growing. I don't want to stop living by faith. The church that I pastored for 37 years, it was a machine. We would run 850, 900 people on a Sunday morning. We had a wonderful staff, a great Christian school. I'm not saying this to sound arrogant. I'm telling you that that our weekly offerings were $48,900. I'm telling you, you're gonna, this is gonna be shocking. They loved me. I didn't get it either. Man, I'd been there and, and we had struggled to get it where it was and we had buildings and land and no debt and, and about two and a half years ago, God slips into my Bible study and He says, you need to go. I said, you mean to Starbucks? He said, no, you need to go. I said, Lord, what are you saying to me? He said, you're done. And I want you to transition out of here. And I I want you to do something else. And and I looked to the Lord and, and I said, Lord, this is Heritage Baptist Church. I, you built this. And I won't go through the whole story, though I would love to. Here's what the Lord finally said to me. At what season of your life do I not have the right to ask you to step out into the unknown? You know what my answer was to him? At any season, Lord. At any season. When we come to the place where God cannot change how we live, cannot change how we serve, cannot change what we give, we have come to the place where it's no longer still further. 
it's as far as I've gone. And it's a dangerous place for a Christian to live. And Paul said, I don't care if it's Spain. I don't care if it's Africa. I don't care if it's Britain. God, I just want to go and take your message still further. And whatever it takes from my life, I want to go still further. C.T. Studd said, Some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. (laughs) I love that spirit. Have you stopped? Have you come to the end of your journey? I'm doing enough. I'm grown enough. Third, God wants us to live beyond our means. Now let me be very careful because there is no one in this room any more conservative financially than me. Let me explain what I mean. Look at verse 15. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, listen, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to trust God to work in your heart and by faith I'm going to make plans to go. I'm going to make plans to preach and by faith I'm trusting God beyond what I have, beyond what I see can be done. I'm going to trust God to do more and more and more. Did you know that God is able to provide and our world can be reached. I believe the best giving is sacrificial giving. I said to you the other day, if we really look, when when God says it is more blessed to give than to receive, that's Jesus talking. Oh yeah, He's the one that gave His life for us. Oh yeah, He's the one who's speaking for the Father who gave His only begotten Son. Hey, God understands sacrifice. And I am not embarrassed to stand up in front of this Baptist crowd and say to you, God loves sacrifice. And God desires for our lives to be lived sacrificially for Him. And it involves our giving. I love, I don't often use fairy tales when I preach. I use the Bible, which is literal and true. But can I tell you a quick story, the gift of the Magi? Anybody know the gift of the Magi? The story? Okay. Well, if you know it, I'm telling it my way, and my way's the right way. A young couple gets married in the 1800s, and they are poor as anything. They've got nothing. They each have one treasure treasured possession. She has beautiful, long auburn hair. He loves her hair. It is, to him, the just defining feature of her beauty. He has a gold pocket watch given to him by his grandfather, and it is his prized possession. He doesn't have a chain, and she can't really do anything, do her hair up because she doesn't have combs. Christmas is coming. They have no money to spend, but each of them so loves the other that they want to do something special. She goes out and gets her hair cut off, and it was in that day where you 
could sell your hair for wigs. She makes enough money off of the hair that she sells to buy him a gold chain for his gold pocket watch. Oh, he's going to be so proud. He's going to love wearing that. He goes out and sells his gold pocket watch and buys combs for her hair. Now, I don't know how she hid the fact that she cut her hair, but Christmas morning comes, she comes out, he comes out, she presents him the gift of the gold watch. He opens it up, there's a beautiful gold chain that could be for his watch. He hands her the gift that he has, and she opens it up, and maybe takes the scarf off her head and there's the beautiful gold combs for her hair. Her hair's gone. His watch is gone. It was the worst Christmas ever. They hated each other after that. You think that's how it ended? Hey, here's the truth. It was the sweetest moment in their lives because of what the other had given for the sake of the one they loved. I'm just telling you, there is something sweet about sacrifice. There is something sweet about saying, I will do without so that I can participate for someone else's benefit other than my own. Sacrificial giving is the kind of giving that God so loves. Well, let me conclude. It's shocking, but did you know that on average churches give about 10 cents out of every $100 to reach the world? I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about churches in whole. Did you know that 55 million people will die without Christ this year? And did you know that fully almost a half, over a third, almost a half, of that 55 million will never have heard one time the name Jesus Christ. And yet, American churches spend 10 cents out of a dollar on missions. Again, I'm not scolding you, and I'm not saying that's you, but but I am suggesting to us that we need the spirit of Paul that says, I'm going to go beyond. I'm going to believe that God can use me and work through me beyond my measure. I'm going to believe that God wants to reach further than I can even imagine. And I'm going to believe that God can help me live beyond my means, beyond what I think I can do, beyond what is comfortable to do. I'm telling you, we have comforted ourselves to the place where the world has no opportunity to hear Christ. But we're comfortable. I said to our Sunday school class this morning, when Paul and Barnabas was called on their first missionary journey, when they were prayed for and everybody was rejoicing and they left, their next thing to do was they walked 163 miles to get a ship to go to Cyprus. 163 miles and and we can't be in church with a headache. Come on! We can't envision ourselves giving something up so somebody else can hear. Come on. You say, preacher, 
get to the point. <laughs> I will. Let me tell you a story and I'm done. In 1904, William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school. Many of us are old enough to remember Elsie the cow. You remember Elsie and the Borden dairy? And William Borden was heir to the Borden fortune for the, the dairy. His dad sent him to college, but before he sent him to college, he wanted his son to be a well-rounded young man. So he said, I, I want you, and it'll be chaperone, but I want you to take a world tour, tour of the world, so that when you come back, you, you will understand that being a worldly businessman, it'll help you. His mother was a believer and had shared truth with him, and, and Borden was a believer as well. On this world tour, something happened in his heart. He did learn a lot, but what he learned wasn't about being a businessman. What God did in his heart was say, man, there's something more important to live for. And on that trip, God called him to be a missionary. Specifically, God called him to a certain group of people, the Kanzu people, who lived in the mountainous areas of China, who were an Arab, even though they're Chinese, they spoke Arabic. Well, he came back home. He went to Yale University, and, and his father, when he heard, you're going to be a missionary, his father thought, well, I'll send him to Yale. He'll, he'll work that thing out of his system, and he will, he'll be a good businessman, but he can be a, a Christian too. Well, when he got to Yale, it didn't get worked out of him. Instead, it became stronger in him. He started leading Bible studies at Yale. Would to God they did today. And he started reaching and preaching a rescue mission in downtown Cambridge. And, and literally, revival struck out in Yale. And, and, and it, it's, it said he, he was a journaler. And they found in his Bible one time about those years, he said, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. And I'm going to say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Hey, there's something that ought to be written in our Bible. He also, when he was at Yale, they believed these were written three different times. He wrote these two words, no reserves. When he graduated from Yale, he had to face his father again. And his father implored him to go into business. But, but he said, no, I'm, I'm going to be a missionary to the Kanzu people. I'm going to Cairo, Egypt to learn Arabic, and then I'm going to China. And they say in his Bible, written a second time, were these two words, no retreats. Thirty days after arriving in Cairo, he contracted spinal meningitis. And within weeks of contracting that disease, he died in Egypt. They found his Bible, and in that time of sickness there was another entrance into his journal. No reserves. No retreats. No regrets. I, I know the hour is late, but let me just take another moment or two. You know what my fear is? I don't, I don't want to come to the place where when this life is over, I live with regret for what I could have done for the Lord, but I did for myself. 
I don't want to face the Lord and have Him reviewing my life and see so much of what I amassed for my life, which isn't much, go up in smoke. And I can't help but think as we go through that trial by fire, there's going to be a sense of regret in our heart. Why did I give my years of energy to that? Why, why did I give the resources that I gave to that when, when it just poof, it's gone? And I think there's going to be time of regret. And I think we have opportunities like this where we say, Lord, I, I don't want any reserves. I'm not going to retreat, and I don't want to live with regret. I want to do what you lead me to do, and I want to be sacrificial in what I do. I think the songwriter got it perfect when he said this. By and by, when I look on his face, beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face. By and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. More, more, so much more, more of my life than I e'er gave before. By and by, when I look on His face, I'll wish I had given Him more. It's true. And life comes down to minutes like this. Moments of decision where we decide self, Christ. A world that desperately needs Christ. A Christ that has brought so much to our life by His grace, so undeserved, yet we have what we have by His grace. And there just comes points in life where we have to say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Every time. You say it'll cost me something. Yeah, it cost Jesus something. It cost Borden something. But I'm telling you, when we stand before Him, our wish will not be, I wish I'd have taken that vacation I wish I'd have bought that pumpkin spice latte every day. I wish I'd have had a bigger TV. I wish, 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 wish. We will wish we had given him more. So we come to times like this and we decide. Would you pray with me?